Welcome to Our Opinions Are Correct, a podcast about the meaning of science fiction. I'm Charlie Jane Anders, a science fiction writer who thinks a lot about science. And I'm Annalee Newitz, a science journalist who writes science fiction. Today we're going to be talking about the meaning of Steven Universe. Steven Universe just aired its one-hour finale of whichever season that was, and we're just so excited to geek out about everything we love about the show and what it means to us and what we think it means in general. And thanks to our Patreon subscribers who helped us to pick this topic. So Steven Universe has been airing on the Cartoon Network for several years. This Five, se- maybe. Yeah, and it's hard to know exactly where the seasons start and stop because unlike a kind of classic adult show, it doesn't have set amounts of episodes per season. I feel like one season had like 40 episodes. Yeah. They're all about 10 minutes long. And this is a show that's designed for kids, but also for adults. It's a little bit like Harry Potter in that way, where you can really enjoy it at all ages. And I feel like it has a huge adult following now. It's the story of a little boy who kind of grows up to be an adolescent during the course of the show, whose mother was an alien and whose father is a human, and he's being raised by three aliens who are the Crystal Gems. And so that's kind of the scenario. And it's really become a huge phenomenon, especially among science fiction fans who discovered the show. And it started out as a kind of whimsical, gentle fairy tale and has kind of exploded into being an enormous, like, interstellar action show about space colonization. And it's also very much about family life at the same time. I mean, this is about a kid growing up, admittedly in the middle of an intergalactic colonization effort that has spanned (laughs) thousands of years. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit, Charlie, about how the story went from being kind of this tale of superpowered aliens or half aliens to being, you know, about two different families. So we sort of slowly over the course of the show learn more about the backstory. At first, we don't even know anything about Stephen's mom, who we knew as Rose Quartz. By the way, to everybody who hasn't watched all of Stephen Universe yet, there's going to be major spoilers. Spoilers, yes. Huge spoilers. spoilers. So you might want to just go back and watch all of the show before you listen to this podcast. We'll wait. We'll wait. Yeah, we're here. So it starts out as just being this kind of whimsical, as you said, fairy tale thing about this kid who has these superpowers that he can't really control. And his dad is around, but he's mostly being raised by these three aliens who are like light projections from these gems that they have in their bodies. They're basically, I want to say, crystalline entities. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) To reference Star Trek. But they are. They are all rocks. And all of them have... weirdly holographic projections from these rocks. Yeah. You know, over time, we learned that there was this war between two different factions of these gem-based creatures over whether planet Earth should be turned into a factory to make more gems or whether the human race should be preserved and like biological life in general on Earth should be preserved. And for a while there, the show was kind of turning into this, as you said, interstellar conflict. And it seemed like it was gearing up for some kind of like huge kind of war storyline where the war that we learned about through the backstory was going to be resumed. And instead, 
You know, the show kind of threw us a curveball, partly by revealing that Stephen's mom actually was Pink Diamond, who was one of the leaders of the kind of evil empire. And we only knew her before that as Rose Quartz. Right. She's just a member of the Crystal Gems who were all She was like their leader. Av- yeah. She was their leader, but she was just an average gem. But the gem society is ruled by these diamonds. Right. And so with that reveal and with Stephen kind of weirdly reconnecting with the other diamonds and kind of introducing himself to them as the return of Pink Diamond at at some point. You know, it becomes a story about these two different families that Stephen belongs to. One family is the diamonds, and they view him as like their annoying sibling, kind of. Their long-lost sibling is taking this bizarre form. Right. And the other family is the Crystal Gems, And, you know, also his dad and to some extent the people of Beach City that he's like close to, he has this sort of found family around him. And it's this kind of contrast between these two different families and the whole gem war starts to feel more like a family squabble than a huge like rebellion against an evil empire like in the sense of Star Wars or whatever. And I guess Star Wars also kind of turns out to be kind of a family squabble as well. And the thing about a family squabble is that you can settle it by just kind of having a reconciliation and bringing people together and kind of talking it out. And that's kind of what happens in the finale is that Stephen just wins everybody over and it's painful and weird. And But basically, it's resolved not with like a big fight. There is some fighting, but it's mostly resolved through bringing this family back together and kind of uniting the two families in a weird way. But the other thing that the show kind of ends up seeming to be about is the difference between a healthy family and an unhealthy family. And the Crystal Gems are a healthy family because they accept Stephen, they support him, they nurture him, they encourage difference, they encourage people to be who they are. That's a kind of a refrain from throughout the show, like be whoever you are or, you know, be yourself, be wherever you are. And an unhealthy family is dictatorial and exploitative. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of scenes from the show where we hear the contrast between the healthy and the unhealthy family. But before we set up these two clips, which are great, I wanted to mention that one of the recurring themes of the show, getting back to your point about being yourself, is that a lot of these characters are hybrids in some way. One of the powers that the gems have, all gems apparently, is this ability to fuse with each other. And when they fuse, they become a new entity who is not just the sum of its parts, but is a brand new personality with new powers and sometimes with like extra arms and eyes, which is delightful. And one of the crystal gems is, in fact, is a fusion of two previously unfused gems. And that's considered kind of an aberration or even an abomination back on Homeworld, where the diamonds rule. And they are really obsessed with purity. And so, you know, when these two gems fuse, it's this really challenging idea for them. But the other thing is that Stephen is an even more challenging hybrid, because when his mother, Rose Quartz, gives birth to him, he really is half gem, half human. And she dies because in order for him to be half gem, she has to give him her gem, like the gem that makes her who she is. So he has her gem on his belly. And he also has a human body and a human self. He has all the powers of Crystal Gem, but he also is human. And that is even more terrifying to the diamonds on Homeworld. 
So this is a clip from one of the recent episodes where basically after they find out that Stephen's mother, Rose Quartz, was actually Pink Diamond, Ruby and Sapphire split up, literally like Garnet splits into two people because... So Garnet is the fused crystal gem. Right. And Garnet splits into Ruby and Sapphire and, you know, Ruby has to kind of go off by herself and think things out and then she comes back and this is what she says to Sapphire. Someone else told us we were the answer, but... I don't believe that anymore. At least, not till I hear it from you. Sapphire, will you marry me? What? (laughs) Marry you? Yeah, this way we could be together even when we're apart. This time, being Garnet will be our decision. What do you say? Of course. And what's great about that is that it's not just this schmoopy, romantic, beautiful moment where they declare their love for each other and they're going to get married and the wedding was beautiful and everything was lovely. It's also this thing of like they have to define for themselves what their pairing means. And before they sort of thought that their fusion was important because Rose Quartz told them that their fusion was important. Like she discovered them on Earth, these two gems that had fused and nobody had ever seen two gems of different types fuse into one entity before. And so it was a huge big deal. And Rose Quartz thought that they kind of symbolized the garnet, the union with these two gems kind of symbolized the differentness of what you could be on earth and like this idea that you could be whoever you wanted. And now that they realize Rose Quartz wasn't who they thought she was, they have to kind of decide on their own who they want to be. And that actually leads perfectly into the second clip, which is from the finale that just aired, again, spoilers, where White Diamond is furious at Steven because she tries to basically tear the gem out of Steven's body and return Steven to being Pink Diamond. And instead, the gem just turns back into Steven. And White Diamond is furious because, as she says, I only want you to be yourself. If you can't do that, I love that because when you hear these two clips side by side, the term that comes up immediately is consent. What's the difference between the good family and the broken family? The broken family has this, you know, matriarch or authoritarian dictator, White Diamond, who tells everyone who to be and what to be and when. And one of her powers is that she can essentially invade the consciousness of any other gem and turn them into a little puppet of her. Whereas in the good family of the crystal gems, people choose to be together and they can choose to be apart if they want to. And that's just a big theme is who gets to decide. We see many fusions on Earth, some of which are really terrifying. Like there's a fusion that we see at one point where it's completely non-consensual and it's torture. Like these two gems are fused and one gem is constantly horribly undermining and like criticizing the other gem and like I'm making it sound like like it's really mild. It's like horrific. Like they're yeah. chained together and it's a super dysfunctional fusion. And fusion is kind of in a weird way. It is kind of like as seen in the wedding episode where these two gems get married and then fuse into one entity, it is kind of like a romantic sexual thing, even though it's a kid's cartoon, where you merge into one person. And, you know, for that to happen non-consensually is really horrifying. And like you said, the thing of White Diamond kind of invading the other gems, including the other two diamonds, consciousness and turning them into like puppets is horrifying. And, you know, there's this sort of 
theme in general of like reclaiming your identity, like one of the first things that we discover in Steven Universe is that there are these corrupted gems who have been kind of damaged as a result of this war that happened. And, you know, at first we think, oh, there's just a lot of these weird monsters on Earth and the crystal gems have to go around rounding them up and putting them into bubbles. And we don't really understand what that's about. But it turns out that these are actually, in a lot of cases, their friends who have been turned into monsters and who've kind of lost themselves and lost their identity and become just this weird, twisted version of themselves, like Centibetal is the one that we spent a lot of time with. So the idea of reclaiming your identity and kind of getting, that becomes almost the holy grail of the series up until now. Stephen goes to Homeworld in order to find a way to help these corrupted gems to regain their identity. And sort of, it's a running theme of the show is like the threat of losing your identity or losing who you are or being turned into something that you don't want to be is kind of constantly there. And it's coming from White Diamond and the other diamonds too, because this is the ruling class. They are also much bigger than the other gems. And we see that really the root of a lot of these problems is coercion, authoritarianism, imposition of identities on people. To take that a step further, one of the things that's so special about Earth for Rose Quartz and for the Crystal Gems is that they feel like it's a chance to have a new kind of life. Right. And the goal of the diamonds is to basically do to Earth kind of what humans are doing to the Earth right now, which is turning it into a giant mine that they can use to create more gems. I think at one point we see their plans and they're going to turn Earth into like a donut or something. It's going to be <laughs> it's it's basically the whole planet will be hollowed out and mm-hmm. used for its raw materials. And since the gems are themselves basically, you know, some form of a material that can be mined from the earth, it kind of literalizes the idea of what happens when you colonize an area and you turn it into like a wasteland because you extract all the resources. And one more thing really quickly about the theme of identity is that there's actually two things that were in the most recent, like the finale that really struck me. One is the thing that, you know, usually fusion is this thing where you kind of fuse with someone and you become a new person. And it's often this kind of gender blending in the case of Stephen whenever Stephen fuses with anybody, it's always either Connie or one of the gems who are at least referred to as Connie, his best friend who's human. Yeah. But in the final, in the finale, the other main crystal gems have been kind of poofed and they're turned into little, they're just like little balls of rock and they can't manifest themselves anymore because they've been hit with yellow diamonds power. And fusion becomes a way to help them regain their identity and actually kind of you know, they all get cute new outfits, but basically Stephen fuses with them as a way of kind of helping them to reform themselves as individuals. And I thought that was really interesting. The other thing is that when White Diamond and the others are kind of shaming Stephen for not being Pink Diamond, as a trans person, it was super powerful because they keep saying things like, well, she prefers to be called Stephen now. And like other stuff like that, where they're still kind of misgendering Stephen and kind of making it like, oh, this is what you prefer. And it's like, no, that's who Stephen is. And finally, he's like, I'm me. This is who I am. She's gone. She's not coming back. And it's this really powerful moment that like literally cracks the the foundations. But yeah, the thing you were talking about with Earth, it's really interesting that like we kind of as we learn the backstory, we find that Rose Quartz and the other gems came to Earth and they were going to try to destroy it as part of, you know, their colonization scheme. And then they saw the beauty and intricacy of organic life on Earth and also that they could fuse with other gems and become these hybrids there. And this Earth becomes this sort of magical place where you can be who you want to be. We're going to take a quick musical interlude. And when we're back, we will talk about 
non-toxic masculinity and music. me about non-toxic masculinity <laughs> especially in steven universe like you know we just saw him wearing this foofy pink outfit that looks kind of like a ballerina and kind of like i don't know what and he's still super seems super comfortable with he's being like a dressed boy. as like henry v or something but I don't know. super pink what does that make you think when you see him wearing that outfit you're talking about the outfit that he's wearing in this most recent hour-long extravaganza episode that aired, and it's what he puts on when he gets to Homeworld. I mean, it is a very non-binary outfit, and I think one of the themes of the show is really that Stephen is kind of non-binary. I mean, he incorporates his mother's pink diamond into his body. He's always been most interested in fusing with his best friend Connie, and when they fuse, they become kind of a non-binary person who feels a little bit more feminine than masculine, but it's hard to say. It's really hard really. to say. And and they do use the they pronoun for Stevani, the fused Stevani, version yeah. of Stephen and Connie. And the show Creator has recently talked a lot about their non-binary identity and why they wanted to have a show where you had a lot of characters with non-binary identity. And the fact is that the Crystal Gems and all of their friends are rocks. They don't really have gender. <laughs> and they present as female. But I think the longer the show goes on, the more we kind of question that. And we know that those presentations really are presentations. Like you said, they're basically holograms that are projecting from rocks. So they can kind of technically choose any form they want. It just seems that the most common form that they take is a sort of leaning toward female the question about non-toxic masculinity, which feels like a really loaded question, really comes down to something simple, which is that this is a show about a boy who uses male pronouns, who is incredibly respectful of all of these women around him who are authority figures and not toxic authority figures like White Diamond. The Crystal Gems are kind of his mothers and his fathers and his teachers. And he's in awe of them in a way that kids always are of cool grownups. But particularly, it's touching to see an example of a show that's trying to show that he is a boy. And like, there's no question in some sense that he's like running around and doing boy stuff. Also non-binary and also really admires and wants to be like women. And there's this incredibly beautiful song that Stephen sings at one point when a couple of the gems fuse in order to be more powerful. And when they fuse, they become bigger. And so he sings this song about wanting to see them become a giant woman. All I want to do is help you turn into a giant woman, a giant woman. All I want to be is someone who gets to see a giant woman. Part of what I love about that song is that it's kind of this beautiful anthem. It's an earworm, but it's also just super powerful and exciting. And I don't know, do you think that that's part of the appeal of the show is it has these songs that are kind of get in your head? I think it's a huge part of it. And many of the people that we know who are fans of the show bought the album and like play the songs all the time. And in a lot of ways, 
It reminds me of the fandom around Hamilton mm-hmm. because not only are the songs great as they were in Hamilton, but they're also songs that are kind of a counter narrative to other types of stories that are circulating. So Hamilton was so revolutionary because it was retelling the origin stories of our country, emphasizing how much people of color had been involved in that and trying to reimagine the role of you know Hamilton and thinking about how important he was. To go back to the non-toxic masculinity question for a second, I think that a lot of cartoons and a lot of coming of age stories for kids really don't do a lot of work to question what it means to be a boy or a girl or what it means to grow up into a man or a woman or what it means to even grow up into a non-binary person. I mean, and I think that what these songs do is kind of give us a look at what does it mean to be growing up and not necessarily become male or female in the conventional sense. It's so rare to have songs that celebrate that. A lot of the songs aren't about that. You know, many of the songs are just about friendship and awesomeness and like just being a happy person, which is also really great. And right now I feel like is a balm that I need. A friend of mine just got some really bad news and was feeling really sad. And I was like, why don't you watch some Steven Universe before you go to bed? I think it'll make you feel better. And I think that's partly because these songs have this anthemic quality. What do you think about the songs? I mean, you used to be a singer, so like I, you probably yeah, have a lot of thoughts. I sing a little bit. I love the songs. I'm somebody who listened to the album and has bought the album and downloaded it and listens to it a lot. And it definitely is very inspirational. And it is kind of similar to Hamilton in the sense that the songs are kind of telling a story and that they're very kind of like bouncy and feel kind of weirdly political without actually, in the case of Steven Universe, without having like a political message that's overt. It's interesting because I feel like musicals are this kind of heightened reality that are kind of fantastical in themselves. Even if you have a musical that takes place in, quote unquote, the real world, it's still like people bursting into song and doing dance numbers and kind of moving around and everybody being drawn into this kind of world of song. It's kind of this fantastical, almost speculative kind of alternate world of everything being made of music that I think is really interesting. I don't think it's an accident that definitely in 2018, and I think a year or two before that too, the only movies that were successful other than like superhero movies and like Star Wars or whatever were musicals. Like musicals have become like, have made a huge comeback at the movies. And they're kind of like the alternative to superheroes now. Like the big films of 2018 included things like Bohemian Rhapsody and Mamma Mia and Star is Born, all of which were really built around music and performances. And I think there were a couple others that came out last year and La La Land like a year or two earlier. It's interesting that we're now kind of recognizing that musicals are kind of like a superheroic art form in a weird way. I think they are for sure. And I also think that um, to bring it back to the sort of anthemic nature of Steven Universe, I think that music offers an opportunity for emotional engagement at a much deeper and more almost abstract level than storytelling. And I think that's what makes Steven Universe feel like a more emotionally intense show. When Steven sings, I want to see you become a giant woman, um, partly he's just saying like, dude, that would be badass. Like, I want to see you be really big and tall. But it also, you know, has this deep resonance of what does it feel like to have a man 
or a boy say to a woman, I want to see you be big. Like, I want to see you Mm -hmm. be great. It's so like it almost is bringing tears to my eyes just thinking about it because it's such a rare kind of representation to see. And it's something that so many women and non-binary people crave, you know, is just like, I just want to see you be great. There's just so many representations of both genders, all genders sort of tearing each other down or undermining each other, whether for humor value, like when, you know, oh, I'm making fun of my wife kind of thing, or just because it's supposedly realistic that there's a battle of the sexes. It's such a balm to have a song that's just about a man saying to a woman, like, I want to see you be great. We've had plenty of songs about women telling men to be great. And I just I want to have some parody there. And it's emotionally just really, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's awesome. (laughs) It is awesome. (laughs) Now we're going to move on to another section that we call What I'm Obsessed With Right Now. So, Annalie, what are you obsessed with right now? In January, I went to a fantastic convention. I was guest of honor at Illogicon, which is in the Raleigh-Durham area. I highly recommend it. I mean, partly my obsession is just like everyone should go to Illogicon. If you're a fan of this show and you're in the Raleigh-Durham area, I highly recommend Illogicon for the panels and the events. But one of the highlights of Illogicon, one of the many highlights, was I got to see the League of Extraordinary Belly Dancers. Love that name. And I love them. This is a group of belly dancers who perform throughout the States, and they do geeky belly dances. And first of all, they're incredibly talented belly dancers. And then they dress up as their favorite characters from fantasy and video games and from science fiction. Some of the dances, there's no sort of theme other than just the outfit being from a particular story. But they also have some great stuff where they act out scenes from Game of Thrones, for example, in the dances. And they're about to do an entire set where the songs and the dances are all about Dungeons and Dragons. And we got to see one of those And it was amazing. It was all about loving bearded ladies. And all of the belly dancers came out with these beautiful, sparkly, fake beards on and did this great belly dance. And it was like, speaking of (laughs) non-toxic gender, um, it was a great gender blending beauty, sexy moment. So if you have a chance to see the League of Extraordinary Belly Dancers, do it. Do it now. You can find them online and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. What are you obsessed with, Charlie? So my current obsession is a book that I just read called The Deep by Rivers Solomon. Ooh, I love their work. Yeah, they're amazing. And they are the author of An Unkindness of Ghosts. And this is their new book, which is a novella based on a song by Clipping, which is the hip hop group that is led by David Diggs and William Hudson. It's a song that actually was nominated for the Hugo Award a year or two ago. And basically the novella is about this group of people who are descended from slaves who basically jumped overboard and landed in the water and then somehow turned into fish people. Like they, they can live in the water. They're amphibious. I love but that. Kind of basically only really live underwater. And they're kind of half human, half fish, and they have, you know, fins and everything and gills. The main character, Yetu, is kind of entrusted with like 
keeping the collective memory and the history of their people. And everybody else kind of gets to forget their history while Yetu is the keeper of the history. And it gets into all these like really deep questions about the legacy of horrible abuses and exploitation and slavery, and also just what it means to entrust one person with your history and what it means to kind of choose to forget except for this one being. And it gets into some really deep, interesting questions, but it's also just a beautiful, moving, gorgeous story about finding yourself and figuring out what you want to do with this legacy that you've been given. And I don't want to give any more spoilers, but it's just a beautiful book. It's it sounds amazing. Gorgeous. Is it out now? Can we get it? It's not. It's coming out, I think, this coming summer. I got to read it early. So this is a super early plug. Okay. Can we pre-order it I on I believe it can interwebs? be pre-ordered okay. on the internet. We'll put a link to that in the yeah, show Yeah, we sure well. will. Awesome. Cool. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again to our Patreon supporters who are are just like keeping this show afloat. They're enabling us to be a giant woman, basically. And uh, (laughs) thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you can review it. You can subscribe to this show anywhere that podcasts are found. And please follow us on Twitter at OOACpod and on Facebook at Our Opinions Are Correct. And And become a patron. And please become a patron. Thanks to Veronica Simonetti for being our producer and to Chris Palmer for the music. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye now.